This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 95, where we're talking about Iron Fist, season one, episode six, Immortal Emerges from Cave. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 95, where we're talking about Iron Fist, season one, episode six, Immortal Emerges from Cave. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm your other host, Chris. And I'm John, rounding out the group as the third and final host. Welcome back, gentlemen. Six episodes into season one of Iron Fist. Absolutely. Who's Scythe? Uh, who is the Bride of the Nine uh, Spiders? And who is Two Becomes One? Quote, Spice Girls. <laughs> Late 1990s. Yeah, I love it. Yes, the Spice Girls do become one. Uh, yeah. It go the, through my head. Absolutely. Yes, they do, with the Vishnikov brothers. Yes. <laughs> I'll be Scythe. There you go. I don't know whether they were thinking of the Spice Girls or they, uh, when they came up with that for themselves. But in case you couldn't guess, this is our spoiler-filled discussion of episode six of uh, season one of Iron Fist. So we will be discussing full spoilers of the episode. Head off, watch the episode, pop on back to us, and then obviously share your thoughts with us about the episode. Just pop onto our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com, record your thoughts about the episode, and we'll pop them into an episode in the future. Uh, if you also want to send us feedback, you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And of course, as always, uh, you can find us on iTunes over at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can search any other good or evil podcast catcher just search Defenders TV Podcast. Please subscribe and or leave a review, and that would be absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Our episodes come out on Friday and Tuesdays each week, so obviously this is Friday today. Our Episode 7 review will be out on Tuesday, the 4th of April, so please make sure you subscribe so you can pick up each of our reviews of each of the episodes of Iron Fist. Gentlemen, take us time to get into our discussion about this episode. Hell yeah! Absolutely, this is a big one. Yes, it is. Uh, this episode was written by Dwayne Rawl. Uh, this is his first big writing credit. Uh, he's been a, he's a staff writer on all of the season of Iron Fist, so it means he's in the writers' room with all the rest of the writers. But this particular episode was credited directly with him. So quite cool. Welcome on board, Dwayne. This is a a pretty good episode to uh, to get as your first one, isn't it? And um, he kind of, to be fair, knocked it slightly out of the park for this one. Oh. I'm quite proud to say that you would think coming kind of mid a midpoint, uh, quite a poignant episode to probably the fear would be there somewhat in terms mm-hmm. of, oh, God, I've got to write this. Um, but for what he did, I'm I'm quite proud. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel like a father. I'm like, yeah, well done, son. Well done. Absolutely. So now, now go kick the ball some more in the defenders and come back to us. Absolutely. Okay. I feel like a mother. Dwayne, you did a great great episode <laughs> after 95 episodes of defenders tv podcast i do feel like we have a little bit of ownership over some of the new writers that come up through the defenders shows it does feel like they are part of a family that we're involved in doesn't it yeah Walzer's great and i mean Dwayne Walzer then links us in quite nicely to the director who's rizza that's right yes this episode was directed by the rapper rizza he's probably best known as a rapper uh I normally give a little bit of spiel about what they've done before, but 
I'm going to leave it to John Tara Higley from our Facebook group over on facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast because he described this so much better than I did. He says, RZA is mostly known as a rap icon as one of the founders of the Wu-Tang Clan. Method Man of the same group made a cameo in Luke Cage. In short, RZA was a nerdy kid in a bad part of New York City who was obsessed with comics and kung fu movies and got famous for a rap group with a ton of kung fu imagery in their lyrics and name. More recently, he directed a kung fu flick the Man with the Iron Fists, and now episode six of Iron Fist. Kind of awesome for someone's dreams to come through in that way. Couldn't have really said it better, John Tara. Thank you so much for that one. Yeah, like RZA is well known as being a huge fan and a huge influence on the fact that that band is based around Kung Fu imagery and Kung Fu, Kung Fu movies from the 70s. He's definitely a comic book fan, so really cool. And I think his stamp is all over this episode. We will definitely talk about it as we go through our podcast about, about the episode. But... This is probably the most stylistic of, I think, all of the Defenders shows so far in terms of what he was trying to bring into the show. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's absolutely awesome that he's he's done he's done this, and I think I actually think it's the episode with the strongest uh, identity mm. uh, of Iron Fist. Now, yeah, okay, it could be down to the nature of the hand meeting the immortal Iron Fist, obviously, but I think just in terms of yeah what he was trying to do with the camera work the the, the settings just the whole storyline um i i think that Rizza and Waza have have done uh, really really well here yeah from my side um there was an element of almost i think the film was called ghost was it ghost dog ghost dog yeah 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 um it, it reminded me very much of that in terms of the as kind of john said the camera work but more the action scenes mm-hmm. um I was, and we'll obviously get into the rounds later in the fight, but particularly the the the, the choreography and the camera work during the scaffolding section. Mm, yeah. For me, that kind of kind of screamed very martial art movie, but it was slightly different in that there was a part where the scythe was trapped on one of the sides were trapped on the beam but the camera was just slightly to the left uh, so a typical director would have probably put himself behind one of the guys mm-hmm. but um in this it decided to actually have almost parallel to um the, the fighters and just slightly off so you could see the both fighters but you could also see what was between them and the way that that was captured. Yeah. I just, I really enjoyed it. And there was also some kind of uh, scenes from a directorial point where the doorway at, at the end, it was just like almost scenes from Incredible Hulk, you know, where like Bruce or Bruce Banner, or wasn't even Bruce Banner back then, what was it? David Banner, because Bruce sounded too gay for the 70s, apparently. <laughs> but it is a crazy name. Um, <laughs> when, you know, when he would just always walk off and the music would start playing. The I was expecting that to kind of kick in as the credits rolled. <laughs> I was like, well, OK, look, I've given this one to him. It, it was a good one. Well, before the credits rolled. We did get an entire episode. John, do you want to tell us what Dwayne Morrill and the RZA gave us in your synopsis for this episode? Sure. In three separate locations across New York, three mysterious fighters prepare for a challenge. The time has come. At Rand Enterprises, the pressures of work, his father, his addiction, and monastery boy begin to tell on Ward Meacham. 
a message left by the hand for Danny in a round shipping container as him and Ward search for Radovan's daughter escalates Ward's drug addiction to the shock of his sister Joy and sets Danny on a course of action. The time has come. Three challenges. The Vesnikov brothers, the Bride of the Nine Spiders and Scythe have been called for a grand duel by the hand with the immortal Iron Fist. Madame Gao and Danny agree their terms. If Danny wins, the hand must leave Rand Enterprises and release Radovan's daughter, Sabrina. If Danny loses, he must leave the hand alone and interfere no longer in their affairs. As the duels begin, Danny is aided by memories of his mentor from Kun Lun, Lee Kung. But as he is close to victory, Gao threatens to kill Sabrina until he stands down from killing the third and final challenger. In doing so, Gao releases Sabrina, but also reveals her knowledge of Kun Lun and Danny's father, Wendell Rand, before showing Danny a glimpse of her own power. However, Danny's efforts may all be for naught as Radovan's condition worsens and his urgent trip to hospital does not go as planned. Now, I know there are actually four challenges, but as I say, they're brothers, so I just class them as, as three. I like that. I like that. The twins who are one. Yes, they yes. are. They are. Yeah, one challenger, I suppose. Um, yes, interesting stuff in this episode. As, as I mentioned earlier on, this is it does feel stylistically like something set apart from the other episodes. It felt to me if they ever wanted to commission a Kill Bill TV series for Netflix, there is the right person to direct that and set up the kind of fights that the bride has throughout Kill Bill Volume 1. Well, absolutely. I think, I mean, uh, you've mentioned about Kill Bill, uh, and certainly it was streets ahead of Street Fighter. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I think it's time to get into our top five points, gentlemen. So our first point, Danny and Ward get ahead. Ah, uh, but a clank. I had to really, didn't I? You did. <laughs> yeah, you did, you did. I absolutely love Ward Meacham in this episode. I love how how interesting this character is getting the more the series is going on. I think I spoke about in episode three, his reaction takes to uh, to Danny and his father having a conversation um, were some of the best moments that Ward had so far. But this idea of these, of these two going on a road trip in Danny's awesome Aston Martin to try and um, to try and find the daughter of Radovan going to location after location him getting more and more annoyed at Danny because he still thinks this is a total waste of his time and he needs to get Danny back to a big business meeting which Danny doesn't care at all about uh, love the relationship between these two it really felt like a, a cool fun road movie and then they come upon the head of the uh, of the murdered guard that that Gao has left as Danny's introduction to the grand jewel um really really cool and love how the how this has such a significant effect on ward as well he is now destroyed as a person afterwards after seeing something that you know a guy in a whatever it is 30 story building way above the city of new york never expects to see in his normal day um really love ward in this episode Definitely. I think, um, is it Thomas Pelfroy mm-hmm. is doing a really good job of Ward. I, I love his disintegration in this with the, the pills. I mean, his acting and makeup. I mean, when he was sat around the crisis management table um, at Rand Enterprises, just his his whole look was fantastic his his whole twitchiness that that he brought to the table was great and i mean just that whole descent into his his pill popping and his need for something to calm him down i mean 
fairness to him, he has just seen a head on a spike. Absolutely. You know? And, uh, I mean, his reaction in that warehouse is, is really good as well. He, he's doing a great, great job of actually just bringing the, the, the weaknesses of Ward Meacham. You know, he was so arrogant at the start. Um, and all of a sudden, the, the, these little weaknesses to his character are being drawn out from the, the middle finger around the office through to the eye rolling when Danny and his father are talking. And now this where Thomas Belfry does a great job acting as someone who really really needs drugs and medication uh-huh. uh to to get his legal high and the hand being slammed in the door oh my god like that was just i mean i just crunched up um you know i, I pulled away i, I like the makeup they really went to town with the swelling um <laughs> of his hands it, yes. it reminded me of homer simpson's fat fingers you know where he couldn't uh dial the phone <laughs> yeah for me um I think we we spoke about it previously in the last episode the, the the scent of Ward, and I'm I'm wondering where this character has to go. Mm-hmm. Um, as in in terms of this felt, he went from zero to okay. We we talked about him having showing signs of cracking already, etc. Uh-huh. But he very much in this episode went from zero to broken. Oh. <laughs> definitely yeah, he literally yeah. just went from zero to broken and i was like oh that wow okay he's even hallucinating now okay i i think they could have extended this a bit further maybe over two episodes okay but i'm, I'm interested to see where they're going to take it actually interestingly though we had no harold in this yeah harold's been strangely absent yeah i found that interesting in that part towards the beginning where they, before they go out on their road trip danny's telling Ward about what he's found in the warehouse, etc. And Ward's just playing them off. Oh, you're you are father's silly beliefs. You think at this point he would have actually probably he would have brought in Harold to discuss this kind of more or to kind of go, well, look, I need you to control this kid that you now brought made me bring in. But like I said, it's just he went from zero to 60 or to 100 in very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Now saying that. The acting was superb, like, and you, uh, I think as John said, the, the makeup looked fantastic as he was starting to have this break. And then when he smashed his hand mm. just to get those painkillers, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, what we did see, which I liked, was Ward started getting crazy when the door flung open and you see the, when they got the head. Yeah. Ward started breaking, literally going, oh my God, you call them, well, we can't do no. But Danny's steeled. Now, obviously, we see Danny start to unsteal towards as the episode progresses. But it was that, what I liked was the dichotomy of the two of them there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it, was al- it was almost like Danny going, you're now in my environment, and Ward does not ho- know how to handle this at all. Danny does. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, although he is also one of two that says we need to call the police um, mm-hmm. in, in this episode. I think just coming back to what Chris said, I mean, it can only get worse for, for Ward Meacham. That's how I'm seeing it, because it's still got to come out in the wash that he knows about his dad to, yeah. to Joy. I mean, I, that has bound to come out. That's just going to make things even more crazy mm-hmm. uh, for for him and Joy, and that's going to really put more pressure on him. Um, and I think, like, we did get a glimpse of him 
you know, looking at the the sample of heroin in his drawer and and all the the jars of pills, whatever he was taking, the kind of you know anti anxiety pills. We caught a glimpse of that previously, yeah. but um, I I think it's just going to get worse for him. Mm-hmm. And can I just say, I feel so sorry for poor Megan the PA. Um, <laughs> she's right in the center of Danny and Ward and Joy's offices because she just seems to get shouted at by each of them to come into their office and then dismissed almost immediately after getting into the room. Um, I just felt so sorry for her. I felt she's really put upon in this office. Yeah, hopefully she's well paid. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I did even. I, I felt, in theory, you're a personal assistant for a CCO and a CEO mm-hmm. and now an additional third CEO. So three, this is kind of like, I'm going, can you triple my pay? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, she she should be like doubled or there's something here. I'd be like, yeah. So, uh, our, our review time's coming up. I've had to deal with, um, my boss cracking because the guy cleaners cleaned his bin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Other guy who keeps doing, he keeps doing, uh, Kung Fu moves in his office. And (laughs) I don't know whether he has a job or not. (laughs) Yeah. No, really, really interesting. But yeah, I do feel, I do feel quite sorry for poor Megan. Um, time to crack on with the next point, I think. Absolutely. And of course, the head does leave uh, a message from the hand. Um, it's parts of the body speaking to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, where we get the grand jewel. And of course, like the great thing here is we see this at the start before the opening credits where we see these four people getting ready and um, the butchers that are the Vesnikov brothers, mm-hmm. uh, the entomologist who is um, the bride of the nine spiders. And then, of course, we get some karaoke loving assassin and, and murderer joyfully going about his business uh, to the tunes of Aha. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, This had me toe-tapping straight away. Yeah, it was excellent. I really, as well, the one thing I noticed, all the little containers seem to be on a bluey-purpley pillow, and purple is the colour of the steel serpent. So I'm wondering whether the master that Madame Gao uh, refers to is the Steel Serpent. Because mm. actually it was one of the things I was thinking about as well. It, there's, it's almost like Russian dolls. Um, because uh, Meacham has Madame Gao ultimately as a master. Madame Gao has got a master. And presumably the Steel Serpent also has a master with regards to Mother Crane. Yeah. But we don't know. So the big, 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 big master, who will that be? Well, yeah. It is the giant hand in the hole. We've discussed (laughs) this, gentlemen. I am not letting this theory go until they prove me otherwise. I I have at least, what, we have another seven episodes of this series and then potentially like five to six episodes in The Defenders. So I have a while now before they can prove me wrong. R- rumour is that it will be uh, it will be discussed very early on in Defenders. There you oh, go. That, that's the rumour. So you... It's Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver is a giant hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she suddenly starts morphing. Wow. This theory oh my is goodness. getting yeah, this, crazy. This Let's theory. get back to the episode. Jenny. I was just going to say, though, <laughs> but it could be that she is actually Mother Crane, possibly. Uh, but yes, back to the episode before we lose the run of ourselves. Um, yeah, so I think, what, round one? Mm-hmm. 
fight with the Vesnikov brothers. Um, yeah, really interesting. These look like they're not comic book characters, we don't think. Um, no. Twins. They're, they're Russian twins. We don't think they're from the comic books. Don't, don't seem to see any connection between the names and, and comic book characters. No, and then what, they're, they're butchering up a bit of uh, meat when we see them. And of course, maybe this is just a, a nice little nod to the Russian gang that was in season one of Daredevil mm. um, and to that whole sort of grouping because they were involved with the the shipment of drugs and so on maybe these are the hand loyalists um i suppose they must be ultimately um they uh, are willing to uh you know put themselves on the line for old madame gale so uh yeah i mean yeah no direct reference from what i can see uh from the comic books so into round one So we see here the Vesnikov brothers bringing the implement of their choice for butchers, obviously knives mm-hmm. here. Uh, I love the little ring of blood that's done here. And, you know, we, we see Danny really starting to kind of just meditate on, on what he's doing um, here. And I, I find this quite good because actually as, as it progresses through it seems as though he builds the confidence in terms of his moves, in terms mm-hmm. of his purpose, probably from the memories or, or the vision of his mentor. I, I really, really kind of in, enjoyed this this fight. I mean, I think the the nod we get here is, you know, you must become a, a double-edged sword from, from uh, Lee Kung, uh, the Thunderer, as he fights the two brothers. So, yeah, I, I thought this was a really good fight. I, I just also... Um, absolutely adore Madame Gao in in this episode and just having her watch over it was almost like Roman Emperor kind of look mm-hmm. where she's just looking down on them fabulous yeah yeah no I, I actually like this fight a lot um, more just that we can see and I think I had in the last episode started talking about how Danny who had just taken on a hallway of uh, knife-wielding triad guys, yeah. got beaten up quite potentially. He got his ass handed to him a few times by a hand member in the lorry. So what we're seeing here is that I think, Derek, you were right, and I'm tipping my hat to you. Um, I think what you had said was that, yes, these hand members are probably more trained, high, more highly trained, and we see this in round one. So we assume that the, the brothers are not... They're round one. They're testing to kind of test the ground, test the water mm. uh, for Madame Gay. And what we do see in the very first few minutes, Danny's getting getting pummeled a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult to take on two two people at the same time, but I'm glad they kept this little motif. We we talked about it in, in uh, I think, episode three, um, where Danny's taking on two combatants at the same time, and it is at the same time. It's something that you don't normally see when you have... Uh, two on one or three on one it's usually you know one person stands back and it's one at a time and it becomes a lesson from the thunderer to danny that you have to fight on two sides at the same time or you're not going to win the battle uh, i love that they kept that as as the as the piece the piece here but yeah you're right probably unlikely that danny was going to get pe- beaten it was only 20 minutes up into the episode as well so uh, <laughs> kind of thought that um but did anybody else think that there was going to be something mystical about the two of them when they said we are the two that are one. 
and then they cut their hands open. I thought they were going to like put the hands together and then merge or something yes. to a bigger, a bigger character. Yeah, I thought it could have been some kind of variant on Fat Cobra from the comics, one right. of the immortal uh, weapons, uh, because we, we see a, a, another immortal weapon, uh, in it, obviously, and we'll come to that in round two, and, and that they would kind of morph together or something. And I think even that they were talking about the circle of blood and, and that, you know, if you step outside of that, then uh, you, you're forfeit. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering whether that was going to mean that something mystical would happen that, you know, I don't know, the part of the body that goes out of that circle uh, would disintegrate or something or vaporize or, yeah. or something like yeah. that. But uh, it was just simply, this is the ring kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you fight in if you tap out, uh, just like in any good old uh, WWE wrestling match, you know, you probably get a, a steel chair to the back of the head. Um, and that is how Danny wins. He knocks out one of them and the other brother taps out yeah uh, who's still alive but he does tap out which i thought was quite interesting again seemed very confident at the start until they realize that he does have powers he's not just a skinny white kid from uh from the upper west side in New yeah York, you know? absolutely because i i love the baiting that they did as well you know that they said the real iron fist would never leave his spot from the defense of kunlun like this whole mm-hmm. you know he is the defender of the holy city uh, of Kunlun from the hand and this kind of prophecy that's running through it is that he should be at the gates of Kunlun defending it whilst it's on its cycle its 15 year cycle uh, back round to to earth and mm-hmm. um, so don't forget my theory that someone's going to be coming after Danny for leaving Kunlun no absolutely so, so it, that was a real interesting little uh, basing that the, the brothers did mm-hmm. um, and you know, there's still this question, why has he left Kunlun and, and come to New York? And he says he's got his own reasons for that. But he's he's still, with the exception of trying to find out about the plane crash and what's happened. Um, but is there more to it? Absolutely. That, you know? Absolutely. Chris, as our resident uh, entomologist of the podcast, I suppose, uh, our spider fan, do you want to take us on to round two? Yes. So with round two... We get uh, what we're believing is Bride of the Nine Spiders. Yes, definitely. So for our listeners who have not read the comics, um, and in particular, this comes in play with the the Immortal Iron Fist run by Brubacher. The, the, the Bride of the Nine Spiders is one of the immortal um, weapons mm-hmm. similar to Iron Fist. She comes from one of the other heavenly cities. And she is in the the TV show. She just seems to be a entomologist with a perchance to a venom and spider venom. Yeah. Where in the comics she's literally made or ingests spiders and they burst free from her. And um, John, do you want to? Am I right here? Am I missing anything? No, that's that's uh, that's pretty much it. You know, she can take on the form of spiders, whether it's a, a big, massive sort of eight-legged freak type spider or whether it's millions of those little creepy ones that would just like consume you uh, take on those forms and of course poison uh, venom mm. is her mastery and um, great what a great mcuing of this character then that she is effectively taking poison venom from rare spiders to use as a weapon uh, in her fights you know and um, she doesn't have to be made of spiders i just like the idea that she's obsessed with them and works in that industry and and then uses it in her 
attacks or use it in her assassin abilities. Yeah, and it, I mean, it presents a new challenge for Danny as well because he underestimates it to begin with. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she she's using a deadly charm. I love the the little needles that she kept just flicking into him as he kind of stumbles past. And, yeah. you know, but it, it's a different... You know, it's a seduction. It, it's a, a different form of. Um, it, it's a poisoner. You know, it, it's it's always that they do it much more silently because they have to um, get close in order yeah. to deliver the the dart or, or or the poison to to their target. So I, I really like this. And again, like you know, she throws up. Um, although. She goes from small acupuncture needles to a massive knife. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's kind of like there's the sting in the tail. Right. She is actually, as well, a good martial artist. Like, she's is trained, and she was given a few kicks as well. I love that she brings the, the element that he's hiding as well, that Danny Rand is actually uh, a mask. And, and we kind of... I got the sense of this as well from his memories of, of, of his mentor as well, that actually he is a living weapon. You mm-hmm. know, the memory of, of his mentor is saying you are a living weapon. And uh, I, I just like the way the Bride of the Nine Spiders says, why hide behind the mask of Danny Rand? Mm-hmm. You know, you okay. are the immortal Iron fist. That was quite cool. Don't worry, listeners. We will get back to the memory of his uh, of his mentor in a moment. <laughs> let's, yes. con- let's continue on with uh, with Bride of the Nine Survivors. And uh, I have to say, just just quickly, I love that she kept throwing more and more of this poison into Danny. She reaches over at the start and puts one in the back of his neck without him noticing. And then he reaches out an arm and there's some in his arm. He reaches more out, another arm out. There's more in his other arm. She is just constantly lacing him full of what's potentially something that would kill a human very quickly or would incapacitate a human very quickly. Uh, it does show kind of, you know, subtly that Danny is a very powerful human. Uh, I thought it was I thought that was a really good touch that she's continually she's not trusting the fact that she has given him enough venom. She just keeps giving him more and more and more throughout the fight to weaken him. Yeah, and then on top of that she's trying to kind of uh, agitate him further and further to get his heart heart racing faster so it pumps around his body absolutely faster which i thought was fantastic mm-hmm. just that she first tries getting him aroused mm-hmm. and then after the arousal fails she starts then trying to zero in on his insecurities to yeah. a degree yeah. and anger him so that his heart starts pumping he gets angry that that was the part that i thought was fantastic yeah um am i am i upset that they didn't bring in a more um, mystical element to this, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yes, I am. Uh, that we know of right now, she mm-hmm. may be back. Um, but I thought the way that they kind of the, the way that they played this, and the way that okay, she actually understands that her her skill is to inflict venom into them and then get them either aroused or angry or jumping around and active so that the venom takes effect quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't played as as the femme fatale. I'm glad it wasn't played as you know, oh, I'm just a helpless woman. Oh, absolutely, that kind of way. I'm glad that it was something like, well, she's just trying to push him to get the get the poison through his system. That was really cool. Yeah, I, but I I loved how it was set up to make you think as though that's how it was going to play out. But then she ultimately showed her kick ass. Yeah, but it would have been fantastic if she'd burst into billions of little spiders. Uh, that would have been fantastic. But I. 
I suspect that might be for another time. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean, Chris. I'd love to have seen that. I think um, the other thing I really liked just at the end of uh, this fight was, I think it was the first time with with Madame Gao where she says, you're hurt. You know, do you want to concede? <laughs> like she's just <laughs> testing the water, just figuring out. And I kind of liked that with all of these three challenges and jewels was just Madame Gao watching analyzing looking and just kind of you know the occasional bit of back chat to him just to maybe unnerve him i thought that was excellent absolutely and to the point from earlier on that the the guidance that comes from the thunderer on this one is that grief is weakness banishes after the bride is forcing him to relive this pain of losing his parents you know and that's when danny does that great move where he effectively powers himself up the sparks are flying all around him. He's obviously pushing all the venom out of him uh, in that in that one moment, and then he effectively knocks out the bride, uh, gives her a kick, um, throws her to the floor, and then kicks her again as she comes attacking him with the blade. Really good. Only one little moment I didn't like about this. It was quite clear that Danny kicked her in her knife hand, and she fell to the ground, knocked out. Sorry, just I do prefer when we do see the actual people fighting. Absolutely don't want to see anybody get hurt, obviously, on these TV shows. It did just take me out of the moment when I realized you can see it really quickly that it is absolutely not a kick to the face that knocked her out. He kicks her in the hand and she falls over and then stays down. She's quite a powerful character. I'd expect that she would she would be able okay. to survive a kick to the hand. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't spot that. I, I thought that was definitely a kick to the old uh, conk. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I saw this as well, and I, I what I assumed it was, it was a kick to the nogging and then to the hand. Right. But um, when I kind of did a, um, a slow-mo action replay, because mm. you always have them at the end of fights. Of course. Um, <laughs> I, I was left um, similarly disheartened. Uh-huh. Uh, but to be fair, this was a three-part action-orientated episode and i was just really amazed that they actually showed a majority of punches and kicks that looked like potentially they had full-on connected yeah but i was additionally also kind of like well just that one 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 moment yeah exactly (laughs) but i think with that on to uh round three and here we see Scythe, um, the aha singing murderer, uh, <laughs> take on me. Uh, and actually, you wouldn't want to take on him because you'd die. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And you'd get killed, except if you are, of course, uh, the Iron Fist. And I must say, I love that when they meet for the first time, there's all the weapons racked up, and he goes, Would you like to choose a weapon? And Danny responds coolly, I am the weapon. Like, that was fantastic. Oh, yeah, very cool. Um, But, you know, Scythe is actually the first real villain um, that Danny faced in the comic books. It's really, really early on. Right. Uh, One of the other defenders here, but one of the other defenders over there, John, uh, issue 16 of Marvel Premiere featuring Iron Fist, which uh, Bracey showed Scythe for the first time. Woohoo! And um, it is quite an interesting read. Interesting. Issue Back 16. in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. We'll definitely have to uh, definitely have to be reading that. Uh, yeah, Scythe is, feels like, in a cool way, feels like cosplay in waiting. Like, this feels like the character that lots of comic book fans have probably been waiting to see on the show. Not that he's a huge character, not that he's a hugely well-known character. I mean, he is just that cool. His intro, 
the moment he's there singing and killing every single person that's in a, a karaoke bar. That's a cool intro for any character to get. And then for him to go up against the immortal Iron Fist uh, at the end of the episode. Like we do see Danny fully powered up. We see him uh, his, with his fist fully cheed up, ready to destroy Scythe in this scene. Like this is this is a great moment. Even if we never see the character Scythe again, I think he'll stand out as, as a great moment within the season of of Iron Fist. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, this is where we see him become or accept his purpose mm-hmm. as the immortal Iron Fist. Just the, the the slowing of time for him where he's able just to uh, focus and, and block everything that Scythe is throwing at him. Mm-hmm. He punches Scythe with his Iron Fist and, and knocks him off his feet, you know, across the room. So, uh, you know, that was a point we had made in for episode two about him moving one of the psychiatric nurses um, out of the way whilst he was powered up with his um, with his glowing iron fist. And he obviously was not trying to, you know, push him across the entire corridor. Cause yeah. it, it just looks like a normal push. Uh, and we thought that there'd be more power behind it. But here we get to see this for, for the first time. And yeah. I thought that was really, really cool, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, the other thing here, the look on Madame Gao's face. And, and to me, this was actually, you know, is she ultimately getting confirmation here that this is the Immortal Iron Fist? Because then her actions afterwards, which are just fantastic and i think that will be our next point but it looks like madame gao has got confirmation like there's this kind of like wide-eyed gaze and this kind of look that okay this person danny rand is the iron fist absolutely um you know and that will presumably get reported back to her master so i kind of uh i like that that maybe you know this wasn't what it appeared at first look especially from Danny's point of view, uh, you know, three challenges. It's all about the honor, the duel and all of this. Whereas actually uh, maybe a later actions, it's that this is really just to confirm that he is the Iron Fist. Absolutely. Yeah. And though for me, this, this fight kind of embodied this episode greater. Um, I talked in the beginning in terms of the directorial kind of look and feel to the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And how it reminded me of uh, some of the more recent kung fu kind of martial arts based. Um, now, this is not a negative. Um, I still have a soft spot for Under Siege with Steven Seagal. <laughs> so help me, it is that bad. I still love that film. Wow. Under Siege 2, not so much because a <laughs> train, you could just pull the brakes. Yeah. I know, it's great on the train. That's like Speed 1 and Speed 2. It was like, we're going to, it's a bus. I don't want to make it even better. We make it bigger and we'll make it a boat. (laughs) What's not to like about Steven Seagal on a train? Well, it was more when he was Steven Seagal on a boat and he had the knife and that was... was As long as I'm not on either or have to watch either, I'm happy. (laughs) But I think it was more... I I, I have a soft spot for these very... um, with these very action-orientated scenes Mm -hmm. and... I, like I the raid, it, maybe, or something like that. Exactly the raid. In, actually, the raid in particular is one, some of my favorite. And then there was um, District Thirteen, mm-hmm, which yeah. is a French-made parkour martial arts film, which is fantastic. Um, but with this one, I, I I thought it was quite good in terms of we got to see Danny more 
started to lose a bit of the control right uh, and then gain it back and then lose it again mm-hmm. and yeah. so we talked about Danny and his PTSD at the beginning mm. and that seems to have almost dissipated and now we're getting this crisis crisis of conscience almost uh, in terms of who he is and I think the one of the lines is let your let your mother and father die or go I'm paraphrasing but for me it was great in this episode if they keep going to that, I'm like, oh, just let his oh, father die. Yeah. But um, the fight was fantastic. I loved the ending um, in particular. Like, And John said, we're going to get to this. Mm-hmm. I thought that the, the, the round one, two, and three as a whole could have been slightly longer. Right. I know potentially they still have to get some other points in, such as getting ahead and... Um, but getting some other things <laughs> and then the exposition at the end and then obviously the part with the, the crisis communicator and um, Mr. Olsen hmm. but I would have liked to see more of that fight I I don't know what more I would have liked but I think I would have liked more potentially like five minutes for the first round seven to ten minutes yeah. for the second round and then a good nice 20 minutes which which was the episode i think it was daredevil where we pretty much had a very action orientated where i think it was like more than three quarters to a half of it was yeah, well it's it must be a, a season two episode of daredevil mm. with the the punisher i mean wow that must have used probably more blood than titus andronicus <laughs> I would say so. I'd say so. I know what you mean, Chris. I think for this season, I I think a lot of people may have expected that this was going to be a season of 13 episodes of Danny fighting off a bad guy, episode one, and then another one, episode two, and then building up through the ranks, uh, leading to possibly Davos or possibly... um, the, the mother crane something like that so so to spend a bit more time on these fights once you've got an episode that are all about the fights uh it does feel like we only had uh 25 30 minutes of the episode between these three fights plus the next one we're going to go on to but uh yeah i definitely could have spent a bit more time with side that was really cool to clarify again the vesnikov brothers were both knocked out and one tapped out one one got knocked out one one tapped out um bright nine spiders got knocked out uh side was on the ground and and uh, Danny's being told to kill him or leave him alive. That's the choices he has. Uh, leave him alive and walk away. Uh, and he loses, effectively, and he leaves him alive. So all three of these characters are not dead. Danny no. doesn't take any of them out. He doesn't cause any serious... Um, they can't walk again. He didn't do a Punisher uh, and and uh, shoot them or anything like that. So all three of these characters could come back in future as well. Absolutely. And I think that probably brings us to... Uh, point three, because the reason he doesn't kill Scythe is because uh, Madame Gao does a wonderful thing. What do I care for honour? As she's got Sabrina with a knife to her neck. Um, you know, Danny's kind of absolutely incredulous that she's being dishonourable uh-huh. in terms of, of breaching the terms of their agreement that they've done uh, after the sort of the hand washing ceremony, um, which must be some kind of purification kind of ritual of, of some degree yeah uh, i was wondering whether there was anything maybe specifically to you know undertaking a duel that would involve that kind of ceremony but i i couldn't really see anything but uh i, I just it was a really cool scene though I did, I did like how that scene was filmed particularly having the two antagonists directly opposite each other washing hands in the same bowl and drying themselves before Absolutely. they go into this this long battle that kind of set up. 
like a, a mutual respect yeah. or, or trust in the honor of, of the the process because yeah you could just push his head in and drown him or something like that or he could do that to an old defenseless lady which is she is she what does john know uh, of honor exactly <laughs> true to the hand okay we, we you know we will honor these these customs to a to a point but then you know we've been around for a long time and the reason is is that if the going gets tough we pull out of the agreement absolutely absolutely <laughs> So Mum Gow as a whole was fantastic. I, I loved her performance in this from that shambling um, entrance where I expected her to almost do... Do you remember that scene in Willy Wonka, the original, mm-hmm. where Gene Wilder is walking out of the factory and yes. trips and falls and then springs up? Uh-huh. I would love to see Mother Madam Gow do that. <laughs> that would be amazing. Would Just be like, awesome. oh, wait! Mm-hmm. I fooled you all. That that shambling kind of lumbered or that, that kind of walk she had was fantastic. Mm. Um, the ending was good. I would have preferred if she had have just kind of as Iron Fist kind of stepped away. She had have still killed the girl. I thought that I I read that what was going to happen. In terms, he goes, but you should never listen to the hand. Right. Either way, we always lie and kind of cut the neck. Mm. And you'll see Danny go, no, and he'll know he's a failure, etc. But I do think there's a, there's a more interesting point here, which we'll probably talk about in a second, which is that Danny doesn't feel he is a failure. So he did save the girl, and that's all he was there for. Yes, yeah, and we can, we can get to that kind of more. I think just it would have more emphasized... The Madame Gao character for yeah, me. I get you. But again, this is the weird thing. I've been thinking about this now for a while since watching the episode. We don't really know Madame Gao. Mm-hmm. The the character we built up in our head over the course of three seasons uh, into this Netflix universe, we've inferred a lot based on what who we think she is, what she is. And um, what she's done in terms of one or two of the punches, we could still be highly wrong in terms it's been of known. who we. <laughs> it's uh, slightly. I know we take some wild theories, uh-huh. um, but no, I just more mean. Um, so she mentions this master who she reports to. She also has an element of honor to her as well, because even though she uh, and the hand break the the to the death fight. And by taking um, the, the the daughter Radovan's daughter by the neck, having a knife there, mm-hmm. she's saying that she has no honor. But she could have gone further. So they are still showing some honor by letting Danny and the daughter leave. So I find that there's actually, I again want to know more about this character. Yeah. I want to know. Basically, the questions forming in my head are going. Actually, this may not be the evil. Um, the one-sided evil lady that we think she potentially is. She is. There's obviously going to be more. I mean, she still is honourable, absolutely. Even though she dishonours the terms of the agreement, in that she gets the Iron Fist to stand down. Mm. Therefore, she's broken the agreement that they've made. But Danny doesn't want necessarily to kill Scythe, I don't think, as such, because he hasn't done it with the others. It's because his mentor is saying he must do that. But with that, he would win, and the Hand would have just uh, lost all their operations. So I think without a shadow of a doubt, though, she would have killed Sabrina 
if he had killed Scythe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and that, that was yeah. that's the turmoil. So, and I, I, but I think it's something as well that that's the richness of this character is that she is slightly unknown. I definitely agree with you, Chris. I really want to know more about mm-hmm. uh, Madame Gao, but the the mystical aspect of it, or the unknown, more to the point, I think, or the unpredictability of her adds just this gravitas to her because it's almost like you know physically it she's this small uh, old lady um, who who has a cane, but she has such power, and I don't mean with what we see later on, but she 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 controls the room. Mm-hmm. To an extent, and and that's what I I really enjoy. But definitely like like you, Chris, um, want to know more about Madame Gao. Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick observation, just on on what you were talking about earlier on, John, and in terms of this setup of the of the grand jewel by Madame Gao, uh, I'm wondering if there was a little bit of kind of. I don't know. It, was it incredulous to her that the Iron Fist could be in New York, but what had happened to the person that she cut the head off of her her guard um the fact that the door had been punched open the fact that he was saying this guy was using his fist um in the fights did that lead her to kind of to to, to test this guy Danny Rand to see if he was the iron fist similar to what we saw in episode 2 where Danny was being tested to prove that he's Danny Rand. Yeah, these tests were to prove actually the iron fist has walked away from Kunlun has left his post now it's open to the hand. Yeah, exactly. In the Immortal Iron Fist, the um, the organization that is going for the mystical city of Kunlun is Hydra. Right. Uh, in the comic books, here it could be that it's the hand, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I think that's a, a really um, high probability that that's the case. She now knows he's here in New York. We have the, the Veshnikov brothers also asking that question you know the true iron fist wouldn't be here but she's confirmed now that he is the true iron fist and i mean she does make the point i never thought i'd meet another iron fist in my lifetime Mm -hmm. which is really um you know that's a nice little nod as well back to the uh matt faction um ed brubacker immortal iron fist series so that was really really interesting definitely Definitely. But yes, no, as she said, she had met a previous um, uh, Iron Fist before. And more importantly, she said to the fact that she's been in Kunlung. That's right. She So this, again, raises a hell of a lot more questions. We are so close to a flashback episode. I can feel it in my bones. I thought this was going to be the flashback yeah, episode. I did. So, so did I. So did yeah. I. <laughs> I just want to, I mean, I'm kind of like going, please just show Kunlun. Please just show Kunlun. Yeah. Yeah. Show Shao Lao the Undying, please, 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 Mr. Netflix. I don't think we'll get Shao Lao, but I think we will get Kunlung. What I'm actually now thinking is we'll get two, or we'll definitely, a minimum of two flashbacks. So we will <laughs> get Danny's flashback, but we she's mentioned seeing... Uh, and being in Kunlung and seeing an Iron Fist before and meeting an Iron Fist, my gut's telling me there is, we are going to see her in Kunlung at some point. I think that would be very close to the end of it. Have you been watching ahead, Chris? Because <laughs> otherwise, yeah. De- Derek is going to have to do a Harold Meacham on you. Never happen. Never oh, happen. no. He's going to close my hand to the door. No, he's CCTV all around the living room. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yes, no, I think we may actually can get an out a, a secondary flashback because, as I said, they're building this character and like giving her depth, and she's becoming more than just the the ever present the 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 big shadowy figure yeah. in the background. Yeah, they're making characters, so they're going to need to explain her as a character. So does that mean that we may have gotten a a previous theory of ours from Daredevil season one? Correct. Oh, wow. Well, she leaves Wilson Fisk and she says she's 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 going away to a place very far away, mm-hmm. um, thousands of miles, much further than China was the yeah, the much further than China. So you know, I think I think we could be on a roll here, guys, uh, yeah. with with our theories. Um, so let let let's hope. But um, I do like the fact that she goes, she remembers the Kasara tree uh, in Kunlun Square, in yeah. the main square, and that she used to train beneath it. I think is that what she said? I think. She used to train beneath it uh, mm. at night. So, yeah, she is... She's an interesting lady. She's a mystery. She'd also be a warrior monk. Yeah, interesting. I think she's um, fantastic. On to our final character, um, our next point, uh, Liu Kung the Thunderer. Uh, I love this. Again, I think we mentioned before about, um, about Madame Gao when she first appeared in the shadowy distance. We knew who it was, obviously, but... The Netflix subtitles told us immediately who it was. The Netflix subtitles for the opening of this episode just said Thunderer as the voiceover came on. So for the entire episode, we knew the whole time who this uh, who this voiceover was. Very, very different here. Um, we have moments that Danny is actually speaking to this presence. Um, I know you mentioned earlier on, John, that these that you thought of these as memories or visions of of his teacher, but he's having conversations. We see. We see Rosario Dawson's Claire Temple walk in on him and go, who are you talking to? Because he's actually receiving pieces of advice all the way through. And it felt it felt different to memories. Oh, absolutely. It was just, I didn't know what else to really describe it as in the in the synopsis. Um, yeah, no, it's like ghostly um, existence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of that a halfway house between sort of a ghostly existence and a memory, uh, a Jedi master, if you will. Or would we call it astral projection, possibly? Ooh, Could be. I wasn't going to go said there. The AP word. I know. I, I was paying attention all the way through our Summer of Strange. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. Neither was John. But it was so, just you at this point. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I think because the the CGI wasn't as great as the Doctor Strange movie, I kind of was like thinking, but you're right, it's TV. It's different level. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, ghostly um, ghostly figure. Mm-hmm. And of course, in, in the true spirit of Yoda as well, you know, he does kind of hint at, there is another. He goes, you must face the most cunning adversary of them all. And Danny replies with the hand. And he goes, no. Interesting. So the hand is not the most cunning. Interesting. Yeah, so this all happens whilst he's training in the dojo, preparing to go to the the, the Grand Jewel mm-hmm. um, at, was it 38 Cherry Tree? Um, which, again, is another nice reference. You know, obviously, the cherry blossoms and so on uh, are, are important. Certainly in Japan, I think, um, it's that whole moment where it becomes very popular to go and see the cherry blossoms um, because they are fleeting and it, it links back to yeah. uh, sort of the existence of life and, uh, and all this kind of thing. What do you think um, of this, uh, this Chris, the, uh, the Liu Kong, the thunder? throughout the episode so for me on this bit i i i took it as being astral i, I initially i took it as 
Danny having a a memory mm. uh, of a previous teaching. Um, but as there was the scene where he was talking himself prior prior to going into um, into the the fight, where uh, I think it was a Colleen who comes out and goes, "Are you talking to someone?" No, Claire comes out and says, "Are you talking to someone?" Yeah. For me, this was the. It started waning on me, going, "Oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he is chatting directly to to uh, his teacher." Yeah. And then at the end, the ending kind of sealed it for it me. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of where he turns his back, I'm like, "Oh no, no, no! He he messed up." And uh, the the unless this this is all a kind of a trick to say that this was a memory when Danny decided to leave Kunlung. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm of the opinion that this was some form of kind of astral protection or communication between uh, Chi warriors, etc. that they can do this once you become a master, etc. Um, I liked the use of it in the story. Yeah. I liked the way it was done. Um, I like for new listeners, uh, for new uh, viewers of Iron Fist, readers of Iron Fist, they won't know who he is. Yeah. Um, they, but for me, I didn't look at the subtitles. All I saw was the um, actual, the seal uh, right. he had on the side of his chest. And that's where I kind of, I, it sprung to mind, if you want to call it that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did is I enjoyed the, as I said, I enjoyed the use it from a story perspective. Yeah. And it kept me guessing. Um, but what I'd like to see now is potentially him call upon um, call upon his kind of teacher again and his teacher doesn't come. Yeah, yeah. Because, and then that's where he'll like, you know, where it's like he'll be in the final fight or one of the big fights and he'll call to the teacher and his teacher won't come. Right. And then just at the end, his teacher will kind of apparate and kind of go, you can do this, Danny. You are the Iron Fist, and then kind of, kind of, you know, you know where I'm going with yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, and that would be a really good way of the fact that you know the Immortal Iron Fist can be so powerful as well mm-hmm. that you know the hand not only has um, has it confirmed that he is the Immortal Iron Fist uh, with with Madame Gao watching the whole uh, duel, uh, but also. You know they've fractured that really important connection uh, back to to Kun Lun, uh, as well as uh, you know knowing that he's not there at the gates to protect it. Yeah. Um, so you know it, it's just a, it's a nice way of someone so powerful being weakened, yeah. um, so that that can be exploited. You know, because I th- I think it, it's like with Doctor Strange. It, it sometimes it can be difficult to f- to really get across that, despite the power that they wield, that there is a weakness yeah. there. Uh, yeah. And I think that's really important with these types of characters to still uh, show that. And I think that's why you know the 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 connection back to the the PTSD with the, the death of his parents, uh, and maybe now even uh, maybe the the loss of his his other family if that's you know what happens that he calls on them and they don't come back mm-hmm. um, that it, it exacerbates all of that and yeah. I, I think that's uh, you know it makes him doubt it makes him sort of move inwards um, so we'll just have to see how that goes but um, yeah uh, Lee Kong the Thunderer is um, is Iron Fist's mentor mm-hmm. teacher of 
the the martial arts uh, and the techniques. Uh, Danny Rand is one of his pupils, but so is the Steel Serpent as well. Right, um, right. Davos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, he he's an important figurehead in Danny's life in Kunlun, and uh, you know, and he is uncompromising. Mm-hmm. He he is the the disciplined uh, teacher. Um, absolute kung fu movie standard yeah absolutely yeah yeah so it's really cool to see him i'm hoping we don't see him like this again where he's in every single scene with danny kind of talking him through everything that's going on i don't think we will i think to your point chris they've kind of broken that connection with him or at least reiterated the reason why danny may have left uh kunlun um so i think that's kind of the last we'll see of him until there may be a big moment in future when they team up or when when he needs when he needs a bit more guidance but i don't think we'll see him for that amount of time in, in a future episode. Yeah, and I, I think just, you know, he wasn't explained um, necessarily that no, well. at all. And to me, that's one of the the weaknesses of, of, of this episode in, in that, yeah, for for ourselves, for other people that have read Iron Fist or who may even have researched it going into watching the Netflix show, that they may have some idea. But it, it is actually difficult. And, you know, blink or sneeze or whatever and you'll miss it. it it's not really explained in the episode who this guy actually is and, and, and what his role is. Mm. And I think there has to be something and I, you know, I think it can be worked in and weaved into the story, um, and it was kind of that. And I suppose moving on to our fifth and final point um, uh, on Claire and Colleen teaming up, it's that moment at uh, Colleen's dojo and in her apartment above it, where he says, "I am the Iron Fist," mm-hmm. as well. And again, um, please tell them what that really means yeah. and, and what's happening. And it and it's left to to kind of hang there. Um, and I think that is I I think that's a little issue with a with a character that isn't as well known as Daredevil. That kind of uh, exposition is, is really important. I mean, you know, Jessica Jones did it very well in in getting a, a relatively unknown character to a broader audience and and, and weaving in her story yeah. uh, with Kilgraves. I'm not entirely sure they're as successful as that here. And in fact, they need to be more aware of it, I would have thought, at least within uh, these first six episodes, you know, where an audience is trying to get to know the character. But yeah, coming back to Claire and Colleen teaming up, um, you know, Claire... I don't know how long she's been fired now from the hospital, but there is some kind of basic hygiene, I would think, that uh-huh. she would need to wash poor Radovan's chest. I mean, he was still caked and covered in blood. All I can think of is infection. <laughs> um, so Probably don't want to move yeah. him when you've got that credit card wedged on there to keep keeps the body actually working. You may not want to move him to change his shirt, you know. Yeah, but may where... not have anything in his size. Colleen's a small, small lady and Radovan's not. But when the septicemia yeah. <laughs> finally uh, hits through and the the infection kills him off, at least we know he can breathe his last breath. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was some, there's some interesting stuff at the scene that I think um, we saw. There's been a lot of criticism leveled at Claire within this particular scene. We talked about about it before that Claire tends to be exposition person. There's one very key piece of exposition that she doesn't share in the episode that I think is annoyed. A lot of people, including myself, a little bit. Um, Claire gets told that this is the hand. 
And they have a conversation where she says to Danny, I've had more experience battling the hand than you have, Danny. And then she doesn't tell him that she knows a guy who has even more experience than she does at battling the hand, which would be Matt Murdock Daredevil. She has his number. She knows where he lives. Um, but she doesn't share that with Danny Rand. Uh, on his path to battle the hand. That is a, a key piece of information that doesn't really have it's a un- reason be, to be held back. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that there's this kind of forced separation that is kind of there. I, I can only presume that mm. it is that, uh, that, you know, this story needs to be told separately. And I think, and again, I don't think there's a problem with that. I know from a, a meta reason, they're going to hold that back. They don't want Danny meeting Matt Murdock before the Defenders because that's that, they're the two main characters of two of the big shows that, that you can't have them meeting beforehand well they could towards the end of this series potentially I'm still holding out for a little cameo from one of them possibly or even two possibly but at least mention to him that I know this person I have a problem getting in contact with him at the moment or something mention absolutely it's a big deal that, that she's fought alongside Another person in Hell's Kitchen versus The Hand. She didn't just get dragged into it because she happened to work in a hospital. She got dragged into it because of Daredevil. Yeah. Um, So even just referencing the guy, did you see the newspapers about this guy uh, since he got back from Kunlun, the Daredevil of Hell's Kitchen? I know that guy. And now you're another one, you know? Um, It seems like they've gone out of their way to not mention him so they don't mess up the continuity for defenders in the future that's what it kind of feels like yeah and i yeah i agree with you i think this it's forced separation for this for the sake of defenders Mm -hmm. or the defenders i think that's what they are i unfortunately agree with a lot of the negative criticism being parsed at this point as well in terms of like she could have said look let me call this guy i know and you could have had danny being so young so fresh going i don't need anyone i'll handle this perhaps this is my job that's how I felt it should have gone. Because you could then, it plays into Danny being, I am the one to face against the hand. Yeah. I am, it's my job. And I think that's effectively what he does, without knowing that there is another person like him out there that's fought against exactly. him. He does but it without, it without knowing it's the it. kind of problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, definitely. But of course, we, Claire does give us a great little sweet Christmas moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was very cool. Yeah, very cool. Nice little reference to Luke Cage. She's been getting too much coffee. She's Absolutely. Been too much coffee. <laughs> yeah. Not a huge amount since uh, poor little Luke is all locked up tight. Well, conjugal visits, perhaps. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Conjugal visits with coffee. Right. There you go. Yeah, so taking it actually on towards this part, I really enjoyed this hospital scene element mm. of um, Colleen and Claire kind of... Um, getting together, sorting out. Claire is becoming very intuitive to the ways of nefarious people. So the way, but also brings me to a great point, excuse me, I sound like a blow of my own trumpet, but what I'm trying to say is, when she figures out that her once friend uh, helped the two orderlies put him in an OR. Mm. Or bring him, so I'm now questioning Oh, was her uh, once friend now the lady who tried to get rid of her? Interesting. Is was she aware of that these two orderlies weren't actually taking because she walked in with them? Yeah, well, let's let's uh, let's take that because I I did like this. I like that yeah. Claire's actual story from the hospital is continuing from Daredevil season two into into this show. Yeah, no, that was cool. It's a great choice. So the story that that came about was that they they hand attacked the hospital. Uh, her friend was murdered. And it was all covered up by the hospital administration. 
um, for reasons that Claire didn't agree with. So she was going to challenge them. And then she eventually was told, just leave the job or you're fired, basically. Uh, you can't keep the job because you don't agree with what the administration is doing. So, yeah, Chris, to your point, it is entirely possible that the hospital administrator is now involved in that whole uh, cover-up scam or involved in the hands control of the hospital or in control of situations in New York, regardless of whether it's in a hospital or not. Somebody is covering them up so the populace of New York don't know about them. Yeah, I love the move of Colleen Wing actually on the one of the orderlies that comes to kind of stop stop them from chasing after uh, Radovan, who's on the gurney, where it's almost like she does a 360 of his arm in its socket mm. or the wrist or whatever. Yeah. And just that uh, Claire goes, you make it look easy. And Carlene's like, response is, it was easy. Um, I <laughs> He wasn't a particularly good thug. Uh-huh. Really cool little moment that I thought, uh, the, the interchange between Claire and, and Colleen. But obviously, it's all a red herring, and he presumably has been kidnapped back to Madame Gao or her master. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the top five points on probably our longest running episode uh, of the season so far. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it was action-packed. Oh, it was. It was, it was huge. And mm. it, we did go through each round. So we have ultimately kind of got eight points we here. We did. <laughs> um, I do like that. Though. That yeah. does happen occasionally. Uh, any any very tiny notes about the about the episode before we crack on? Yeah, I've got a, a few quick ones. We had our obligatory sideways mention of the Avengers with the incredible green guy. That's right. If you don't know who the incredible green guy is, I am sorry. Um, go watch the Avengers, and <laughs> then um, it will probably become pretty obvious it is captain america of course he is our incredible green guy i was wondering about this because the actual mention of it is that danny's video on youtube has gotten more hits than the incredible green guy that's not possible is it do you think people are actually going to watch a video of a corporate scam on youtube more than they watched <laughs> the incredible hulk taking the shatari out of the sky over new york city over and over and over again i'd watch that thing a million times that would not come off we have, we have the harlem we have south africa and cape town where you destroy cape there's uh-huh. many elements but no apparently a uh, corporate scandal yeah, in, I know. in the mcu in the netflix mcu version of the world the corporate scandal would have more views on youtube interesting interesting thinking there we thinks not. <laughs> <laughs> and then to kind of close off my notes point, we have obviously the episode name, which we, we're trying to kind of pull together usually. So this episode was Immortal Emerges from Cave. Mm-hmm. Again, I can find nothing. So what I'm going to, I'm leaning towards, thankfully, one of our listeners has got in contact through um, the Facebook uh, group, Michael Booth. And he goes, at least the connection with the name to this episode is obvious. Uh-huh. Um, the Immortal Iron Fist has been tested by Gao. Yeah. So there we are. Thank you, Michael Booth. We appreciate that. Pretty much, yes, we agree. It has to be it. Um, but again, if anyone is a practicing Shaolin Kung Fu warrior or um, actually wants to help <laughs> us and find, explain some of these moves, please let us know. I, I'm to the point that if I have to go to episode 13 without knowing them, I'm going to find one in Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> and just ask him to YouTube them for me. I love it. You could ask him to astral project. Uh, to you that that could work too 
Unfortunately, um, I'm pretty sure the cost of astral projection right now with a Shaolin Warrior Monk in Dublin, Ireland, in Euro, the conversion rate is just too high when you go <laughs> to the bed and back. Like, you've got long distance astral projection. I'm pretty sure that racks up over local calls. So um, I'm sure it does. Yeah. yeah. The mobiles haven't got a tariff for that yet. <laughs> not yet maybe we'll even need to change the locks in case we block people that are astro- astral projecting into our homes is there a way to block them out does that get covered in insurance or what <laughs> i'm pretty sure in the mcu insurance there is probably going to be hulk damage astral projection <laughs> robbery the premium on superhero insurance is probably quite high I am pretty sure someone has done a thesis on that somewhere. Possibly. I'm really hoping they have. If not, I would love for someone who is one of our listeners in college right now to do that. Well, that's it. It'll just build on uh, Act of God clause and it'll be Act of Superhero Mm -hmm. clause. Well, see, you do have Act of Thunder God, then you have Act of War God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of gods there. All right. On that note, I think it's time to get into the defense for this episode. Chris, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? I do, I do, I'm not going to lie. Um, yes, I defend this episode of Iron Fist, and the action was great. The, the cinematography, the overall look and feel, the, the writing, this was, for me, one of the best episodes of the first six. Mm-hmm. This is a slow burn TV show that is building towards where I want it, with this episode being the pinnacle. The, the fights were fantastic, as I said. The writing, fantastic. I still have some issues in terms of how many questions is leaving for me. But as a whole, I defend this. Excellent. So that leaves me with, John, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? Oh, I do. Um, this this is my favourite so far, um, this episode. And I would give this four Madame Gows out of five. Um, I'd love to actually give it a little more, um, but... Certainly, I think there's still a few weaknesses that that came through here that um, I I, I think are a little bit of an issue. But I absolutely thought Madame Gow in this uh, and her interplay with the Iron Fist was absolutely excellent. Uh, And you don't want to give it four and a half Madame Gow's either. No, um, (laughs) but I reckon she could actually split herself into and still operate quite well. Um, I think... um, you know, I thought she's excellent. I think she brings a presence, a gravitas to the scenes uh, in this episode that really just elevate the, those scenes. As I say, watching over each of the fights, it was great to see all these um, challenges, in particular seeing Scythe uh, and seeing the Bride of the Nine Spiders. Absolutely fantastic. Really getting into the, the heart and soul of Iron Fist's comic book character and origins and bringing that to the screen seeing Lee Kong the the thunderer as his mentor mm-hmm. as well that was excellent and i think again ward meacham's deterioration i just thought that was played pitch perfectly and so i really really enjoyed this episode looking forward to episode seven i believe it might be a crazy episode interesting but derek on that crazy notion, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? I definitely defend this episode of Iron Fist. Yeah, much like you guys, I think we're in, in this season, we're actually quite closely aligned in our thoughts about the episodes. We're not usually. We do have some episodes that some of us like and some of us don't like in each of the other shows. Uh, 
this is pretty much the best episode of the season so far. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to put it to the RZA's direction. No, no criticism of Scott Book, but I think the RZA had a vision for this show and he was con- trying to condense it into one episode. Um, he's really pulled out all the stops to create a Kung Fu TV show for our generation, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it, it feels like he was trying to do so much with the limited budget that you get for one episode of a show. There's there's some shots in here that came directly from uh, 70s TV shows. There's music cues. There's um, there's specific moments. There's a, there's a quick moment that I, that, I, that I find difficult to describe, but it's a moment where just after Danny gets powered and is looking directly at the Bride of Nine Spiders, it's a scene that that is a small screen, low budget version of something that's used in Kill Bill when she sees, sorry, when the bride sees each of her victims. Um, and it's done a very low budget. It's just done as a shaky cam. Those kind of touches are only done by someone who is passionate and loves this kind of project. It feels like the RZA is the right person to do this show. And I'd love to see him get an opportunity potentially to do another episode later on or maybe do season two of Iron Fist and be a showrunner on that. Completely. I Completely. I do think the ethos of this episode, dare I say it, should have been in the opening episode. Mm. I think at the time uh, when we did our review podcast on episode one, I think I kind of just went, oh, F it. You know, they should have gone full Kunlun, looked at the mystical city in that episode just to really get the the feel and ethos of this whole world that Danny lives on um, in terms of Kunlun, uh, you know, juxtaposed with New York. And I, I think that kind of feeling and ethos came through in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably should have been there for episode one. I think that kind of brings it on to kind of a big point about episode six. This is the end of our screeners. This is the end of the episodes that we received from Netflix before the show was released on the 17th of March. The same as all the critics that did the previews. Um, So, John, you've kind of given a little bit of a thought there on your concept of of episode one to six overall. And I, I do feel there's kind of a step change in this episode to the kind of show I want to see. Um. I know there's a huge amount of setup that you have to do and a a huge amount of universe building you have to do when you set up a new cast of characters every time. This has been a slower build-up than the other shows, but now now that we're right here on episode six, I can't wait to get to episode seven. I'm really looking forward to episode seven. And it it feels like if this is all you've seen of the show, you definitely make your decision right now whether you want to step on and continue into the show or not. It does feel like one of those jumping-off points on the show. Is this the right... Is this... Is this your show or not? Is is what you would decide by episode six? This is definitely a show I want to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, for me personally, I would say, you know, look, this is a fan podcast. And plus, I think our, our starting point is always to be positive. Even when we do say uh, and point out the negatives, I think we could still also draw out positives from uh, the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on that basis, I would say... My own opinion is that Iron Fist, I think, has been judged harshly by by the critics. But to be fair to them, I think that they are, given these six episodes, they're reviewing it really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I actually think a better measure, probably, of, of the show from the, the reviewer's standpoint is where they go through each episode. So, you know, they're trying to give an overview of... 13 episodes from six, 
you know, that must be a pretty difficult job to do, especially when you've got so many other reviews to do and maybe you watch the first one and you go, that didn't chime with me. Like, to an extent, it didn't with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from, but I wonder whether it's just the volume of reviews maybe that um, reviewers have to do these days. Obviously, that's their opinions. Exactly. There are people Um, that absolutely hate this show there are previewers that watched all six episodes and absolutely hate don't understand where marvel are going i'm lucky i'm not i'm not on the camp but i totally agree with you john they should follow our format and just review the episodes individually and have listeners like our wonderful listeners joining us for all 13 episodes (laughs) i suppose what i meant by that is obviously outlets are going to review each episode um of the show as they come along and give more time to each episode um but Again, you know, with Luke Cage, they had seven episodes. And by the end of that, you know, there was high praise indeed, and rightly so. Um, But the second half of that season didn't chime with a lot of people as well. Mm -hmm. And yet, I suppose the the steam, the head of steam was built up from those initial reviews. Mm -hmm. And maybe that even made that switch in some people's minds where they just maybe didn't get the the, the second half of, of Luke Cage as a season because it was so... Um, it contrasted uh, with the first half, in, in, in a sense. And, I mean, we don't know yet, but maybe this is the the, the jumping-off point for, for Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Um it will build and build and build and be fantastic and get the high praise like um, like Luke Cage did for the first seven. It is interesting that there are only six episodes in the screeners as opposed to seven uh, that we got for Luke Cage mm. and obviously for Daredevil Season 2 as well. So, I mean, I wonder whether that's got anything to do with it that, you know, I have heard that Episode 7 goes kind of mm. crazy. So be interesting. Chris, what's your thoughts? Um, so in my in my bit, um, yeah, I, I, guys, I'm I, to be brutally honest, and I think this is, um, I, I kind of alluded to a few of these facts. Um, this being a a, a, a fan podcast, um, we are slightly more, no, we it's by fans about something we enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see where the average viewer who has no background in this, who's potentially watched Daredevil, this is a very different show. Yeah. This is a kung fu show, and it's a slow burner. This is potentially the best episode so far of the six episodes. Mm -hmm. And what I think the issue there is, where in previous episodes, in previous series of Defend of daredevil of luke cage of jessica jones if they did not open strong in the first episode the second to third was the it was a quicker pickup yeah a quicker hook as much as they're paying service to us and i think they've done that job well and they've been very faithful to the comic book origins and some of the comic book stories they forgot that they also need to be there for someone who isn't a comic book fan mm who has no understanding of who the Thunderer is and this guy, this monk just talking to him. They, there's some expositions that they they go into over detail and there's some where they just don't detail enough. 
truthfully, I can kind of understand where some of our the the other reviewers have come from. Does it warrant the the level of scorn uh, of negative press that it has received to date regarding the the quality? No, I think. Yes, this is a slow show. It's getting better. I think it's going to continue to get better. Um, there is some strong writers. There's some strong directorial people there. They missed a few beats, yes. But again, if you add up the amount of hours, the amount of time that Netflix have put in, this will be the fifth season of 13-hour shows. That's mm-hmm. more than any MCU film combined, I think, nearly, Yeah. when you add it all together. They are building a secondary world. They are building something that not only appeals to us as fans of comic books and as fans of each of these characters, but also they are trying to bring in new fans. So, yes, it takes time. And differently to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which would have a similar volume of episodes and number of seasons, they're also trying to build up each individual show to have its own individual audience as well, not not just one big universe of shows. So, yeah, doing a very different tack. And I, I think, I just to close it out, I've had two friends tell me that um, Iron Fist is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I went, have you watched it? I went, no, I just read online. And yep. uh, I was like, but why would you not check it out? You like Daredevil. You like Luke Cage. Oh, yeah, but, like, everyone's saying it's terrible. I'm like, no, that's not Not everyone is saying it's terrible. Yeah. And I think my one request to all of our listeners out there is if you actually hear someone say that the show is terrible and we'll go, actually, have you watched it? Give it a try. Like, just give it give it the chance that it deserves as any Netflix show. In a, in a world where Netflix, you can just turn it off and go on something else easily. I can see where potentially people have dropped out on this. Mm. So... My request is go forth, our Iron Fist listeners, our Daredevil listeners, our Luke Cage and Jessica Jones listeners, and spread the word that this show is actually not bad. Yeah, Trust it. Give, go with your gut and have a watch. Right. And on that note, Derek. Absolutely. I uh, got a little bit of feedback in from Facebook on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Kale Hensley says, I just started episode six and just remembered this dude is British and he doesn't have the Doctor House, Doctor Strange or Legion British American voice. So good on him. Well, that's pretty positive. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange accent was actually perhaps one of the best we've seen in a while. And the Doctor House one, well, he never yeah okay i'll give him that one <laughs> but uh the legion i i didn't even know the actor was british really that, no, i, I didn't actually, actually thought he was a, he was american so i i i'll give him house i'll argue strange and thank you for informing me about legion <laughs> yeah absolutely i didn't know about legion either um that he was uh british not only is he british his biggest role is on what tv show gentlemen little pop quiz there what tv show could possibly be the biggest role. The Bill. No. <laughs> EastEnders. Coronation, Coronation Street. Street. Think even more British than that. Keeping up appearances. Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> what age do you think the lead actor in Legion is? <laughs> Keeping up at Last of the Summer Wine. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Here, this is a deep cut for all our listeners. There is a show called Hello, hello. Oh, and it was probably one of the gosh. worst stereotypical French 
old 70s British, 70s, 80s British. Wow, no. It is a cultural nadir, I think you find. so good. All right, one final tip since we are in feedback. Uh, A section of an episode of this show was in Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. Oh, no, Downton Abbey. Yes. Oh, God. He's a major character in Downton Abbey for many seasons. Well, that's why I don't know him, because Downton Abbey, it's dreadful. I, it makes me cringe, Downton Abbey. Um, and it, it's just pure false history. It's despicable. <laughs> but but you would watch a Downton Abbey with, with Tony Stark uh, and a few others. That would be interesting. If he used his uh, bloody armor to fire all those missiles like he did in uh, the first time <laughs> Iron Man film, you know, and then yeah, that would be pretty awesome actually. <laughs> well, Denton Abbey was good enough for Happy in Iron Man three, so uh, there you go. Yeah, not convinced. Um, on that note, thank you so much for all of your feedback in this episode. If you want to send us feedback, just email us over at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Do what all the rest of the feedbackers did and come to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast or record a voicemail over at defenderstvpodcast.com by pressing the voicemail button. I remember for all voicemails submitted, uh, you will be entered into a prize draw where there will be some fast and furious and fruity prizes to to be had from the Marvel Universe. From the Marvel Universe. That's not a tip-off that this is connected to the Vin Diesel movies at all. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Fast and furious. <laughs> it could be Groot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we are not giving anybody Groot. No. <laughs> Actually, Fast and Furious would be really good in, in one... What was the, the, the Del Boys uh, van? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tied around this up, boys. That's it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast. We'll be back again next Tuesday with a review of Episode 7 of Iron Fist, Felling Tree with Roots. Can't wait to get on, get on to that episode. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on Tuesday, the 4th of April. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And as always, we'll be with you next time. Bye.